Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and welcome to August. Thank you for letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new month. Joining us today will be the director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. We'll talk about weather conditions, weather patterns shaping up now that we're into the month of August, looking into fall, and really looking at those... uh, concerns over an early frost or just even a normal frost will be problematic for many areas. We'll talk about that with Dennis Toddy on today's program. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, and we're going to look at uh, some new research out showing the economic benefits of soil health practices. That's coming up later on the program as well. But we're going to start it off with a check of the news. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications joins us and Phil, uh, Senators about ready to head home for their August recess? Yes, they are. They uh, jet, we can smell the jet fumes now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they've got one last big vote on this uh, budget agreement that I uh, believe we've talked about uh, uh, before they get out of town until the uh, second week in uh, September. But they'll, they'll get that vote done, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the only question is uh, how big uh, the uh, vote is going to be among the Republicans, but it it will pass. Hey, what's the reaction been to Mike Conaway's announcement, the uh, former House Ag Committee chair, now ranking member of the House Ag Committee, his announcement that he will not be seeking re-election? Well, it's been a little muted here on Capitol Hill, um, mainly because the House uh, left on its recess last week, so there, there are no House members around. However, you know, I was uh, returning messages with a, a major uh, producer out in, out in his district, and uh, uh, there was concern about uh, they uh, he's been a huge ally of agriculture uh, generally in uh, southern agriculture, in Texas agriculture, uh, particularly cotton growers, and uh, they're, they're losing, and uh, they're losing that ally, and they're concerned about it, concerned about it. Uh, who might ultimately win the nomination. Yeah, some big and, boots to yeah. fill. Both for the Republican Party and for the ag position uh, on the ag committee, that's a lot of seniority to lose right there. Yes, it is. It's institutional knowledge. Um, as you know, agriculture is very regional, too. Um, and Conaway, as I as alluded to, really went out of his way to take care of, uh, of southern needs. And, you know, cotton cotton growers in particular coming out of that WTO case with Brazil. Uh, they had uh, left the commodity program in the 2014 Farm Bill. Uh, China was manipulating the markets. Uh, global prices collapsed. They were, they were really in a bind. And uh, Conaway went to work, uh, got him back in the farm bill, got some uh, help uh, as a bridge from USDA. And uh, then, of course, they're getting some additional help out of these uh, MFP packages. So he has been uh, really battling for them um, over the last uh, six or seven years. Let's talk about uh, these MFP payments, this latest round of trade assistance. You've written a story that says... um, 
that trade assistance for farmers may provide some with even more money than their actual losses from the trade war with China. Tell us about it. Well, economists are really struggling to figure out how much, you know, how much the trade losses are really translate into the, into the price of soybeans or the price for cotton. Those are two crops that have uh, been affected pretty hard because of China was a major market for both. Um, you know, I talked to economist uh, who's an expert in cotton who said you can directly link the twenty-five uh, percent uh, Chinese tariff. Uh, to about uh, five to eight percent um, of a price drop on cotton, but it's actually come down by about a third. There are other things going on: overproduction uh, domestically, globally. So there's a lot of different factors. Um, in soybeans, you have a similar similar situation. So, but with this new package, of course, too. USDA is saying, they're not saying exactly how they did it. They haven't released their secret formula yet. But they've said they've gone back and looked at uh, tariff barriers and non-tariff barriers over the last uh, decade in order to figure out the rates that ultimately um, resulted in these county payment rates uh, that were released last week. So everyone trying to figure out just what formula they used, and uh, USDA still... Um, kind of coming up uh, with what they're going to tell everybody. We're still waiting for that, right? <laughs> yeah, they said uh, they would have an explanation of uh, the formula in, in a few weeks is how they put it. But that's what I got from them uh, last Friday, almost a week ago. Uh, yeah, they, they, they've got to – everybody wants to know how did they calculate the impact on each commodity that those factors then – were used to come up with these county payment rates based on what's grown traditionally in each county. Well, we know this. However they came up with it, it is a needed boost to the uh, to the ag rural economy. Yeah, well, that's the argument uh, to Bill Dorothy, the Undersecretary for Farm Production, uh, uh, gives. And, and, of course, uh, farmers themselves, that there's a lot of things going on, and they really need this as a bridge until the market gets back into uh, uh, some stable situation and get past these uh, trade disruptions. Well, speaking of trade, the U.S. and China delegations met again, talked again, and they've decided they'll they'll keep on talking. Uh, this looks like this is going to keep going for a while. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, they are talking, which is uh, uh, Finance Committee Chairman uh, Chuck Grassley said that in itself is positive that uh, the talks are going to resume uh, back here in D.C. So there is that. Uh, we're probably closer to something with Japan. Uh, Japanese officials are uh, supposed to be in town today uh, to resume talks on uh, getting an agriculture-only uh, uh, agreement done, hopefully in uh, the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, boy, that that's that's kind of nice to see an agriculture only deal. If only we could do that with uh, some of our other trading partners. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is basically uh, the, the effort here. The goal here is to basically get in a bilateral deal with Japan what we would have gotten with the Trans Pacific Partnership because uh, you know, obviously Japan was a big uh, um, enticement for the, the TPP for the uh, U.S. ag sector. 
uh, this would go a long way toward replacing what uh, was lost when uh, we pulled out of TTP. All right, Phil, thanks a lot. Uh, be a little quiet there around uh, Washington, D.C., as quiet as it can get there, I guess, uh, for a while while they're out on break. Thanks a lot. Right. Okay. Ta- take, take care. care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Well, we're going to get some thoughts, more thoughts on the weather we've seen so far in 2019 and what might be coming for the rest of the year. Dennis Toddy is director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. We'll get his thoughts on the weather and weather patterns. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. Mike, that was quite a heat wave that rolled across the country. It was. It, uh, you know, clearly if you're going to get something like this, it's going to happen in midsummer, and uh, it did. And, you know, with all that moisture we've seen uh, during the spring, uh, it just brought those humidity levels just through the roof. So pretty tough to take, but fortunately it is now in the past. Yeah, what's on the backside now of that heat wave? Have an outstanding week of weather with uh, temperatures at or somewhat below normal, and uh, quite a bit of sunshine. Uh, really, not much in the way of any rain this week. Uh, should be a, a, a good week for crop growth uh, in the Midwest, and uh, Lord knows they need it. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. 
A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, of course, when it comes to weather, 2019 has been one for the books, and it's a book that many would like to throw away, and hopefully a better book coming in 2020. But we got to get through the rest of this year, and let's talk about uh, weather patterns with the director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub, Dennis Toddy. Dennis, thanks for being with us. Uh, uh, how do you compare 2019 so far to past years? Is this uh, unlike about any other year in recent times, or do you see some strong similarities that might give us a look into the rest of this year? Well, it's been a – I loved one of our extension colleagues who said, boy, this has been an interesting year. Um, I mean, there there are some similarities to some other ones we have seen. There are some records that we have beaten this year uh, because of some of our, our, our precipitation, particularly. Uh, you know, a number of states around in Iowa and around us uh, the 12-month period ending in May had been their wettest 12-month period on record. So that gives you some perspective on how wet we had been for a very long period of time, and that's why we had the delayed planting that we saw. Um, you know, then there's always concern about what happens midsummer. Does it stay that way, or do we get a shift? And we got a, a, a moderate shift, not a complete one like we've seen in you know, years like 1983, and we go back, there's one in the 40s. 95 was a little bit, and I think there was 11 or 13, where we, we kind of shut off and, and, and had some additional problems. And, and we, we shut off a little bit, uh, not completely, uh, so we still had lots of soil moisture, but we had lots of late planted crops that were rooted poorly. So we're, we're kind of trying to muddle our way through that right now with, with some of the recent drying, uh, trying to get, get this crop to, to maturity. We're enjoying, we are enjoying some cooler weather. Uh, hopefully the crops will continue to, uh, to move along. But we know some places, even though there's some threats of some heavy rain, I guess now that could cause more flooding, uh, a lot of the uh, Midwest now dealing with dry conditions. Correct. Uh, you know, the areas you're, that we're looking at for some of the heavier rainfalls are, uh, you know, down in the you know eastern Kansas, uh, southeastern Nebraska, western Missouri areas, those have some better chances for some heavy rainfall coming. And then further out into the plains, we've got some some ongoing wetness. And then they've been you know kind of been the recipients of, of the ongoing rainfall. Uh, the eastern Midwest, you know, Iowa and to the east, has seen that that drying, and and it's been some good, some bad. Uh, you know, the the we the, the drying out we needed to do, but certainly then we have poor rooting depth on some of our crops and that that the, the, the very intense short-term drying has shown up in stress on some of the crops and that's why we uh, the most recent u.s drought monitor released today has lots of d0 abnormally dry areas uh, around the midwest uh, you know we are seeing stress in some of the corn crops just because they were so they have such poor rooting depth uh, and with this short-term dryness so yeah we we are seeing some cooler conditions upcoming uh, particularly the early part of August, and then even the new outlook for August, it leans towards uh, cooler throughout uh, this whole region. So that has some good and bad to it. Uh, good, it's a lot more comfortable for us. 
uh, crops that are stressed a little bit will be re- eased a little bit, and it'll take give us some more time for grain fill and, and slow moving through maturity. The downside is we have some very late planted crops that need some heat to get us through the end, particularly on some corn that was planted well into June, and that's what's going to make it dicier for them is it's going to remove some, some ability to develop some GDDs to put them through. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to be watching this really closely. So there's some kind of good, some kind of bad, but, you know, since since we've been, we've been talking about this since, you know, late June that we needed to have almost a Goldilocks situation going through the rest of the growing season, have to have things going just the right way to get us through to, to where we can get yield out of out of some of our corn crops. Yeah, the focus now and the concern is over those first frost dates. Uh, do you see any patterns shaping up or any indications of what might happen there? Um you know, you're, you're, you're dead on that that is a, a big concern. Uh, is, you know, is there a chance for an Is right now we're, we're too far out to be able to say anything with any kind of certainty or with anything related to it. So uh, I wouldn't lose any, any more sleep over that. Certainly we're going to keep an eye on that, but I wouldn't lose any sleep over that at this point. The problem we have is that even if we're close to average frost freeze dates, that still can be problematic for some of our crops depending on where we are at this point. So we are likely to have, you know, no matter when that freeze comes, uh, we are likely still to have some crops that are they're not quite there yet or, you know, could have some grain quality issues related to that. The fortunate aspect is if you look at uh, especially hard freeze dates, that 28 event, throughout a good portion of of the corn growing area that is actually getting later the trend over the last you know 30 years or so has been towards later ones of those so that is working in our favor right now that we can still uh, help get this crop to maturity Um, you know the other concern early on in the season was you know given how wet we are and the wetness we had last fall we're going to see that right now it looks better towards having you know not having as, as wet a fall season so that will give us a better opportunity for for harvesting because it's likely this for a while as people are letting things sit in the field and dry out some so uh that's what we're kind of dealing with at this point we're talking with the director of usda's midwest climate hub dennis toddy dennis uh you touched on something that I've been thinking about the last few years. Are we just seeing a shift in seasons where we'll, we'll start late but go longer? I mean, is that actually taking place, you think? Uh, well, it, it's an interesting combination of seasons that we are seeing right now. Um, if we had been able to get in the field, we could have had a fairly early start to this season. In fact, in the eastern Corn Belt in Ohio, uh, they had their – one of the record earliest last freeze. They didn't freeze. They were just so wet that they couldn't get access to the field. And that's a more frequent issue that we're seeing right now is that uh, we have wetness in the spring that delays our ability to get in the field. It's not so much a frost freeze issue. Uh, And then in the fall, we are trending towards later first fall frost and freezes. 
So that has a couple benefits for us, that if you want to try a little longer season variety, you have a better chance of making it. Or if you want to let a crop sit and dry down in the field, you have that ability. Or if you have a, a delayed maturity for whatever reason, you can still, you can still uh, let that sit in the field for a while. So we are seeing a lengthening of our season throughout most of our region, and that's part of the reason why we've seen the Corn Belt be able to move further northward, too. Uh, is is the Dakotas, Minnesota, and even southern Canada are seeing similar warming. Uh, And because of that, that's lengthening our growing season and has allowed corn to be grown up in those areas. Yeah, this has uh, been going on for a few years, this pattern, right? Uh, As we've seen those crops uh, move north and uh, that that lengthening. But it's just hard to bet on (laughs) in a year like this year when you're really needing that longer uh, growing season. Hard to count on it, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we we have variabilities from season to season always. Uh, so, uh, and, and and I mean that idea of, of uh, looking at risk and and what you know what is your risk tolerance and trying to look at varieties and match your varieties with when you're able to to get in the field. Uh, you need to try to match those up. So there are certainly things year to year that can happen that you have to. Uh, make audibles as seasons happen, which I'm sure a lot of people did this year with some changing of varieties. But, I mean, the the trend is fairly clear overall that, that, that we are lengthening in our growing season, so that is an option for people to try to take advantage of. All right, so do you see any, here we are now starting August, any major weather pattern developing or any system that we should be watching? Uh, you know, El Nino was, was part of our driver behind what was going on earlier in this because we had an El Nino develop late uh, and, and later than we usually do, and it was so it affected us in the spring and in the early summer. That has weakened relatively quickly, so that is not a player for us anymore. Uh, so now we don't have uh, as much to draw on in our long-range outlooks. Uh, other than you know, looking at some computer models and trends, and that's a lot of what NOAA's Climate Prediction Center uses in their outlooks uh, when there's no El Nino. So, you know, looking at the computer models, what's really lo- what, we, what we're seeing is a, a big ridge of high pressure, the ridge of high pressure that forms over the middle U.S. during the summer, um, is going to be kind of stay parked out over the plains and and, and Intermountain West. So what that means for us is that we're going to be seeing more Canadian air coming down on a regular basis, and that's why our conditions are going to be uh, generally cooler and generally, you know, maybe not as as, my, as many chances for rainfall because that Canadian air is drier and has less moisture available to it. And will make us even more nervous about an early freeze probably. Dennis, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Happy to do it. Take care. Dennis Toddy, Director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. We're going to talk markets next with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Stress less in a minute from the American Ag Network. We are talking with Monica McConkie with Prairie St. John's and Eyes on the Horizon Consulting. This week, she gives us a top tip for stress management. I think most importantly is we need to make sure our basic needs are being met before we can go on to different higher levels of thinking and functioning. Looking at are you 
eating? Are you eating healthy? Are you sleeping? Are you drinking enough water? Are you able to feel like you're safe in your environment? So things like prioritizing, paying bills to keep lights on and and water running kind of a thing. Just the very, very basic needs of life. Start there and try to get a handle on those before you move on to other bigger, higher level things. That's Monica McConkie. This is Stress Less in a Minute from the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Brandon and oil seed sector defensive early on Thursday. Traders with a bearish view of the grains prevailing so far. The bulls said to be heading for the exits. Bears pressing the market lower. Optimism that a U.S.-China trade agreement could soon materialize and rejuvenate U.S. export sales Taking another blow, there's talk that China will commit to buying more U.S. agricultural goods, but traders have heard that talk before. Grain export sales again lagging behind trader forecasts. Corn sales nearly 50% below normal levels amid numerous sales reductions from unknown destinations. Corn for December delivery fell 2.6% on Wednesday. Chicago wheat September down 2%. It seems the trade is indicating that the take-home points from this week's meeting in Shanghai are mostly more of the same. An hour into the trading day, December corn down two and a half at four oh seven and a half. November soybeans down four and three quarters, eight seventy-six and three quarters. Chicago wheat September down eleven and three quarters at four seventy-five and a half. Kansas City September down eight at four fourteen and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September down three at five sixteen and a half. Lean hog futures October contract down two dollars ninety seven cents sixty eight dollars even. That contract was down nine point four percent in the past three days entering today's session. In live cattle futures, the August contract a dollar fifty higher at one o eight forty. Feeder cattle August contract up ninety at one forty two forty two. We saw cash cattle sales. Late to moderate business yesterday, 111 in the south, down a dollar. The Dow is up 142, S&P up 8, crude oil in New York, down a dollar 67. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams on agriculture join me monday through friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams 
Well, let's talk things over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, good to have you back with us. I, I realize China's too big an issue, uh, too critical a market to just uh, not make news. But at some point, does the story of we're gonna, they're going to talk some more start losing some of its impact if we don't see any results from those talks? Well, I think we're seeing signs of that in our economy where the markets are simply starting to say, okay, it's the new norm. And uh, at some point, I think the the commodity markets start to do that as well. But right now, the the funds have been uh, rewarded for shorting the commodities. Um, They covered shorts this spring when we had the planning problems. They never really did buy into the problems. And now they're putting those shorts back on again. so for now, they're being rewarded for that until proven wrong. And uh, over the next month, we'll we'll now get more data on this crop, and 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 maybe that'll be what proves them wrong. We'll have to see. And there's this pattern of okay, they're going to talk some more, and oh yeah, China's going to start buying some more ag products from us, but uh, that doesn't ever seem to turn out to be much. It really doesn't, and that's been China's pattern. Uh, I saw a statistic at one point on what, per, what portion of the promises they kept to when the, of the prom, commitments they made to join the WTO. And, and uh, depending on how you measure, is between one-sixth and one-seventh of the commitments that they promised. So that's the pattern with China. That's one reason that President Trump has been pushing so hard for, for methods of verification uh, within the trade agreement that they're trying to negotiate with China. China has no intentions of changing their ways. We may eventually get a trade deal where they may make promises, but that doesn't mean that they have any intention on keeping them. And, and in fact, when you look at what's going on in Hong Kong right now, that's just a a microcosm of uh, how China uh, also is actually reinforcing their ways that they want to do business rather than making changes. Meanwhile, things seem much more positive on getting a deal done with Japan if that comes about, not knowing what the details would be, but uh, if it's something close to what we had, would have had in TPP, how much of a market mover would that be? Well, I think it's positive for, um, first of all, it impacts the psychology of the market. That's a big positive. Um, but it's also, from a fundamental standpoint, it's positive for the meat sector and positive for wheat. It's probably less so for corn and soybeans, um, but definitely for wheat and for the meats. So we'll keep a watch on that. And let me ask the same question about USMCA. Let's uh, hope that gets passed this year. If so, is that a big market mover, or does the market look at that as saying that kind of keeps on what we've already got? Uh, For the grains, it it pretty much keeps on what we already have. For the meats, it's much more positive, particularly for pork. Uh, That's where we saw the most negative impact from the tariff battles that we had with uh, Mexico in particular. Um, so that does help with the pork, and ironically would come at a time when we also anticipate shipments uh, to to China or involve, re- revolving around the ASF problem in China to increase as well. This has to be a nervous time, frustrating time for the pork industry. It looks like they're sitting right on the edge of what would be a huge opportunity. If you got Japan deal done, you get USMCA passed, and if you ever could, we get back into that China market now with their African swine fever situation, it looks like things could really bust wide open for the pork industry. 
Well, it would certainly appear that way. Uh, one of the problems we're facing right now is the fact that uh, the headlines started flowing last fall, which drove lean hog futures sharply higher, encouraging expansion of the industry too soon. And so we built up this big surplus of pork that now we have to work through. We did see a cancellation of, uh, I believe it was 12,000 metric tons of of pork from China this morning. That's a little bit of a mystery, and it's weighing on futures this morning. But they are ramping up on nearly a weekly basis. They're slowly increasing shipments of pork right now from the United States to China. Uh, China has been leaning very heavily on its reserves, and there are signs that those reserve supplies are starting to tighten up. Uh, Retail pork prices are really starting to escalate inside of China. And they've also been importing a lot from Europe and have now from what indications are, are draining the reserve that Europe had. And so it would appear that they need to start stepping up imports from other sources, which would positively impact the U.S. pork market. But like you said, we've been on the cusp of this for a while. Now we need to actually see the fruit of it. We're talking with Arlen Sudeman with INTL FC Stone. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the grain market. Uh, do you see much movement be- before the uh, August crop report, or is everything kind of just waiting around to see what those numbers are? Well, the funds have been rewarded for shorting the commodity complex, and they continue to be so. And now that we've seen some significant chart support give way, they've got more freedom to trade that momentum to the downside. We could see some short covering ahead of the August 12th report. Um, There's also some survey-based yield estimates that are going to be coming out in the days ahead, starting with ours this afternoon. Um, Those survey-based estimates, I don't know how you fill out a survey of how corn's going to yield when it hasn't even tasseled yet, Um, but that's what we're facing as we keep to the calendar this year. Those estimates may be all over the place, but if one of them captures the trade's attention and starts putting fear in them, oh, no, maybe we're leaning the wrong direction, maybe that could turn it. Um, Then we also have uh, the first of the crop tours are starting next week, and so we'll have people actually walking fields and get reports from the fields. We'll see what they say getting inside the fields to see if they see the same thing inside as what they see from the road. And then, of course, USDA's August 12th crop report, uh, a plethora of data. Uh, the confidence will be much higher in that data in September than it is in August, but it is data nonetheless. You, you touched on something that uh, I think we need to mention. What do the traders, what does the trade focus on? And what they choose to focus on may not be what the, the rest of us think they ought to be focused on. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I I had a question from uh, one of my followers in South Africa on Twitter and saying, why in the world are the markets going down because of improved weather when I see any listed a bunch of Corn Belt states that have dry forecasts for the next week and have been dry for the last several weeks? And I said, well, it's an unpopular opinion, but uh, the pundits in Chicago are searching for a fundamental reason that is really a money flow cause for the markets going down. And, uh, and and that's pretty common these days. Um, and uh, the computers are being rewarded for doing what they do, and they're going to do that, taking prices too low until the fundamentals prove them wrong, and then they'll turn the momentum the other direction. Mm-hmm. Yes, right now you look at the markets, and it seems they're convinced that uh, our production 
is going up. And I know a lot of farmers are looking out in their fields and checking the weather forecast, and they just don't see how uh, how anybody could be thinking that. So uh, we have two differences, uh, uh, you know, different strategies, different opinions here. And as you say, it'll just take a while for it to sort out, and they could do an abrupt shift. The markets could do an abrupt shift at any time. Yeah, I posted on Twitter last week that, the, uh, and I'm a former certified crop advisor, agronomist, and I said the agronomist in me, in my gut, says that this crop is a 157 plus or minus 7 bushels per acre. Why the big range? Because this is the equivalent of early July for this crop. So weather can still have a huge impact. And uh, the market is telling me right now that I'm wrong. And uh, a friend asked me this morning, are you still sticking with what you think? And I said, yeah, I'm sticking with my conviction. Uh, if, if I'm wrong, it'll be the biggest surprise of one of my 40-year of my career, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it's one of those situations where if the market all of a sudden does say, well, I guess, uh, I guess it's not as big as uh, we think, and, and they shift, then you're left kind of saying, well, we told you so, but that doesn't uh, help in the meantime. It's painful to farmers, uh, particularly those uh, who are struggling with the short crop out there. They're, they know they're going to have a small paycheck from that smaller yield and see the prices go down. It's just kind of rubbing salt in the wound, and, and unfortunately, they just have to tell their banker to be patient. What's, what's our export business look like right now? Oh, it's hurting, and uh, we have a big crop in South America. And uh, we're pulling that crop forward, and we're, we're still not going to have, if the crop is as small as I believe it is, we're still not going to have enough corn in world trade. So the price is going to have to move corn demand and increase wheat feeding in the world, and it's going to take price to do that. Um, so we are still looking at a shortage. Um, but uh, right now, Brazil and Argentina have a lot of corn available to the world market at a much cheaper level than what U.S. corn is presently. And so the only places that we're really shipping corn are those places where we have a real freight advantage. But even with a a smaller crop, there's still a lot of soybeans? We've got a lot of soybeans out there. And so the question is, is this, are the problems of this year enough to give us a short enough crop to offset that uh, billion bushel carryover of old crop soybeans? That is possible. Uh, soybeans look pretty rough in the field right now. I still wouldn't want to bank the farm on it um, uh, because I'd say the odds are less than 50% that we have a short enough crop to totally eliminate the big surplus carried over. Um, but I tell you, between the two crops right now, the soybeans in the field look the worst between the two. Yeah. A lot of questions still to answer, and uh, we're getting closer to some of those answers. Thanks, Arlen. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at some research out uh, looking at the economic benefits of soil health practices. That's next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. There was a study released recently comparing organic milk with conventional milk, and the study says and claims that the... The non-organic milk tested positive for pesticides, illegal antibiotics, and growth hormones. When I get reaction to that from the dairy industry, joining us now is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, Clay Detlefson. Clay, thank you for joining us. Uh, What do you make of this study? 
at this point, we don't buy it. We don't believe that the results that have been provided are accurate. They fly in the face of government test results that have been going on for years and years and years, and it's just very unusual that these results could be valid. So we're questioning the methodology and the proficiency of the folks that uh, perform the testing. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. American Farmland Trust has done a study on looking at the economic benefits of soil health practices. The lead researcher for that project is Dr. Michelle Perez, who joins us now. Dr. Perez, thank you for being with us. Tell us a little bit about this project and the research you've done. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. Uh, We wanted to address the dearth of quantitative evidence that soil health practices do provide on-farm economic benefits. You know, we have a lot of science showing the environmental benefits of these soil health practices, which are no-till or strip-till, cover crops and nutrient management, that healthier soils um, have all sorts of wonderful environmental benefits that are helpful to um, the larger society. But we know that we had a hunch and we had a lot of anecdotal evidence that it was terrific for the farmer's bottom line as well. So we set about to analyze what we called four soil health successful farmers, in four states, California almond producer, an Illinois corn soybean farmer, uh, another corn soybean farmer from Ohio, and a diversified crop rotation farmer from New York. And we found what we were hoping to find. You know, they were very successful economically at um, these soil health practices. They improved their crop yields, um, and they increased their bottom line, uh, on average, about, about $30 to $50 per acre for the crop farmers. And the almond farmer could attribute a a $600 per acre increase in yields uh, and income every year on a per acre basis to his soil health practices. Well, that's interesting because I know there's there's skepticism. There are questions and doubts about uh, how much of an economic hit farmers might take in making a transition to some of these practices. What this study is pointing out, there are actually economic gains to be had. That's exactly right. And this is not uh, in any way are we saying this is a silver bullet. We know how challenging farming is on a day-to-day basis. We know the risks that farmers take and um, how Mother Nature is uh, increasingly making their jobs difficult. But what we're actually seeing is that these farmers who have taken the time to educate themselves and really invest, making lots of mistakes uh, along the way, they share those mistakes in these short 
two-page case studies um, with the world, um, so in hopes that other farmers can leapfrog over those mistakes and avoid them, um, that if you stick with it and your soil changes, your soil improves, you reap the economic rewards and, in fact, make you even more resilient to the ever-increasing erratic uh, weather patterns farmers are struggling to cope with. Could you give us some more specifics uh, when you've worked with these farmers in these four states? Different practices, obviously, uh, different soil types, uh, different challenges and issues. Uh, what what were some of the big takeaways? Let's look at the say the the corn soy farmers in the Midwest. Uh, what they did and what they saw as a result. Great. Well, let's focus on on, uh, Eric Niemeyer here from Ohio. Um, He grows uh, corn and soybeans on his farm um, called Mad Max Farms, and he's in his 15th farming season. Um, And he felt that he had a lot of uh, erosion challenges he saw on his his fields that he wanted to address, despite um, having um, pretty flat fields. And he's in Marion and Delaware counties in the upper Scioto uh, River watershed north uh, um, of Columbus. Um, and so he uh, did, did a lot of work studying these soil health practices, especially um, how switching from conventional tillage to strip till and no-till, um, and he's 100% no-till right now on 1,250 of his acres, um, was really going to help him address those erosion problems, and he was very pleased with the increases uh, in yields as well. He said his yields went up from 165 to 195 bushels for corn, and from 45 to 65 bushels for soybeans. And he estimates that half of that yield improvement can be attributed to the no-till, the cover crops, and the variable rate fertilizer applications, that's his nutrient management technologies. Um, And then the rest he attributes to, you know, things like increased um, uh, planting rates for seeds and improved seed hybrids. So he's very cautious, very, you know, um, very conservative in his attribution of the benefits of these increased yields to both the, the improved seeding technologies as well as to his soil health practices. Is that from one year to the next, or is that over a period of time uh, kind of transitioning into the, those practices? How we did that was he gave us yields from 2014, um, and we compared them to several years before um, when he wasn't using all of these practices. And so um, we definitely looked over time and made sure we were getting a very credible economic analysis. What we did was called a partial budget analysis instead of a total farm enterprise. Um, So we honed in on exactly only the variables that are being changed. So everything that has to do with tillage, cover crops and nutrient management, which were his soil health practices, when there was a change, we focused in on that change. We estimated the costs before, compared them to the costs after the change, and that's what your cost-benefit analysis is able to show and hone in on. So do you think that is representative of a what could be for a wider area, or is that more specific to a, a particular farming operation? Uh, we're really hoping that it's attributable, it's, it's applicable to all farmers across the country. Uh, you know, we have uh, just four farms in this first batch of case studies um, and just four production systems, as I mentioned. But we're really hoping that each production system and each farmer can find something that they can relate to in these short two-page, easy-to-read and hopefully very compelling uh, case studies um, that they can, you know, take back to the, the um, their kitchen table, their farm office, and talk with the rest of the members 
members of their team and say, how about we give one or more of these soil health practices a try on a small field of ours, and let's, let's learn from the mistakes these guys made, and let's, not, let's reach out to our NRCS, that's the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, um, local district office, even their financial assistance in the form of federal conservation programs, or let's reach out to our local soil water conservation districts and also our uh, state farm programs. All right, Dr. Perez, thank you very much. Uh, real quick, you got a website where they can see those results? Indeed, it's farmland.org backslash soil health case study. Okay, very good. Thank you, Dr. Michelle Perez, lead researcher for the the research done by American Farmland Trust looking at economic benefits of soil health practices. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. 